Do you find yourself thinking that you're not good enough or that you're not lovable? Many people hide a dark side that they feel that if others knew their secrets, it would be detrimental to their relationships. It doesn't need to be that way at all. This is where words can't reach. Shedding light on our dark side with your host, Dr. Madeline DeLittle can help. It's time for a frank and open discussion about the things that are bothering us and say what needs to be said. Dr. DeLittle and her guest experts are here to help you understand and provide advice. Now, here is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Hello and welcome to Voice of America Empowerment Channel. My name is Dr. Madeline DeLittle and you are listening to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on a Dark Side. Today's topic is about love and betrayal with uh, my guest, John Modio, Modio, who's an expert on this topic. And welcome, John, to the show again. Thank you so much. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, this is our last show of this, of this series, John. So you're going to uh, to take us out with a bang on, on <laughs> love and betrayal. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> but before we do that, I just want to tell the listeners a little bit about you so that uh, in case they missed your last uh, show which they can always catch up on by going up onto the website on Voice America and the Empowerment Channel. So you uh, you've been a licensed marriage and family therapist for nearly forty years. My goodness, and uh, you're down there in San Francisco, and you've got four books out, which I assume are on your website. Correct. Right. Which is? Can you give the listeners your website? Sure. It's John Amadeo. Is how I say the last name. JohnAmadeo.com, which is J-O-H-N-A-M-O-D, as in David, E-O. J-O-H-N-A-M-O-D-E-O at um, uh, dot com, I should say. So you pronounce your name Amadeo. Amadeo. Amadeo, as in right. Amadeus. I thought right. I been, right. So I've been calling you a pronouncing it on the wrong emphasis so it's sorry okay. about that a lot of people do it's fine <laughs> so you're also um you've been a writer and a contributing editor to a yoga journal are you are you still doing yoga no that was uh, i still do yoga but i'm no longer a contributing editor right. or writer for them but i did that for 10 years some time ago right. yeah, i still do yoga every morning wow really helps um it's interesting because we've just had, a, had a, an episode on yoga-informed trauma or trauma-informed yoga. Let's get it around the right way. Trauma-informed yoga from uh, one of my guests, Danielle Bronkoffman. So that might be something that the uh, listeners would be interested in mm-hmm. looking into. But you're, you're still teaching. You tell me you're, still, you're going to Hong Kong to teach. And what is it you're teaching? Yeah, I'm teaching a workshop at Hong Kong University on focusing and relationships. This method I use in my therapy practice called focusing, mm-hmm. help, helping people connect with their bodily felt sense of issues instead of just being in our heads about things. So it's a whole methodology of being present with your felt experience just as it is in a very gentle, friendly, caring way. So doing that enables us to have better relationships because we can't connect with others unless we're really connecting with ourselves. Mm. And are you practicing what you preach, John? I do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. So you also are a writer, so you've got a, a... Uh, a good left brain working there as well and you write particularly for psychology today which is a huge she's got a huge um audience of people reading that all over the world mm-hmm. i think yeah i have an online uh, blog column with psychology today called uh, intimacy as a path towards spirituality 
Mm. Do you get a lot of people writing to you about their own situation? Or uh, I do, not, not a huge amount, but I get some mm. periodically. Uh, every so often, yeah, maybe a couple of times a week, I'll get someone writing to me. Yeah, lovely. So, love and portrayal. What uh, when you think of love and portrayal, John? You think of sexual infidelity. Mm. Uh, can you can you expand on this and and uh, talk more about a, a wider lens on love and portrayal? Yeah, often we do see betrayal as uh, infidelity, and that's probably the biggest one that happens, and uh, and certainly among the most painful things that can that we can experience. But there are other kinds of betrayal that I do talk about in my book, Love and Betrayal. Uh, one would be a deception, being deceived, somebody lying to us about, you know, where they're going or, or, or a betrayal in terms of, a, say, an agreement to marry and having the engagement broken off. That can be really crushing, you know, a commitment to be together and then suddenly person out of, out of the blue just decides to change their mind for whatever reason. Betrayal can also be vicious gossip about somebody you know, talking behind your back about you. That could be a betrayal of the trust. Because when we talk about betrayal, we're talking about broken trust, which is the subtitle of the book, Broken Trust in Intimate Relationships. So there's other ways to break trust other than infidelity. Wow, this is a whole new lens of looking at the word betrayal because it usually... There's an assumption made it's about a physical, sexual thing. Mm-hmm. But to, when you're talking about vicious gossip, that mm-hmm. is a ho- that, which happens a lot to mm-hmm. folks, that's a very different way of looking at betrayal. Somebody, perhaps you're saying that you, they, lo- you, they love you or they're very fond of you, and yet there's a two-facedness about it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, because if you're, you're committed to someone, you're you're feeling love for somebody, you don't want to break the trust by talking viciously about them behind their back. That's a, that's a real betrayal of the connection, of the trust, of the goodwill between two people. That seems such a contradiction, but it happens, does it? Your, your, your experience is this, this two sides of the mouth? That, uh... Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, if you want to process the relationship with a friend, things you're not happy about, talking about your feelings and maybe try to get some clarity so you can bring it back to your partner. But uh, vicious gossip is different than that. It's just really bad-mouthing your partner or revealing really private, confidential things that they probably wouldn't want you to reveal to somebody else. Mm. So we've got betrayal. Uh, is is um, The first one is deception, mm-hmm. lying. Mm-hmm. And, with, and within that vicious, vicious gossip, fits into that category of deception? Uh, I wouldn't call that deception. I would just call that um, vicious gossiping okay. in a real negative way about your okay. partner. Yeah. Okay, it's a different, a whole different thing. Different, okay. way to, different ways to break trust. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other ways? Well, there are. You know, it, one can be not really expressing caring to your partner by not being willing to really listen to your partner. This is a real subtle one to not really be present with your partner or, you know, I had one client who said that their partner would make fun of their weight at parties mm. and they would tell their partner to not do that, but their partner would just keep doing that. It's, um, 
That's a real betrayal of the trust to be, be shaming your partner that way. So it could be not listening. It could be shaming your partner in a vicious way. That could be a, kind of a betrayal. Uh, withholding communication, you know, things that you're that you're maybe af- afraid of or feelings, feeling hurt or sad about something. And, and, and you're just not communicating. You're withholding your communication. That creates distance in relationships. That's is an intimacy buster to withhold your communication. And I'm not talking about going to your partner and just dumping everything out and just, just absolutely communicate, you know, everything that you're, that goes through your mind. You have to kind of pick your battles. But, you know, if there's really important things that you're withholding, that can really be destructive to a relationship. And, and, it, and it could also be like, I had one, I've had some clients that they insist on being right. It was mm-hmm. hard for them to say I was wrong. So I once had a client say, after his wife left him, he said, I was always good at arguing. I wasn't good at just listening to her feelings. <laughs> so he had oh, to be right. Yeah. You know, that once a week, you know, he had to be right. He was just, you know, some people just have such kind of an inner fragility that they just hold on rigidly. They, you know, in the Buddhist sense, they're clinging. Clinging creates a lot of suffering. Clinging to being right. You know, if we have a strong sense of self, we can say, I'm, um, I made a mistake, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, we've been, we've been talking about that in the seri- this series around how it takes courage to, to be, take responsibility and to be vulnerable and to admit your part in something. Mm-hmm. And, and that, for some people, is, is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but I've never thought of withholding communication. I mean, if you were to take all your categories, that would be most of us at some point of in time in a, yes. in a relationship. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that because, you know, we're all part of the human condition, right? <laughs> yeah. None of us are perfect. And there are times where maybe we're not clear about what we're feeling because we're so busy with working or with our life. And there are things that are brewing underneath and we're kind of withholding that. And, you know, gradually those little hurts can build up and they create a lot of distance. And the more more distant we feel, then we might we might succumb to a larger betrayal. You know, if we're not connecting with our partner, we might run into some other attractive man or woman and start to spend time with them and suddenly we feel sexually attracted to them and we have an affair. We can be a really gradual slippery slope toward, uh, toward deeper betrayals if we don't catch the, the smaller disruptions of trust that happen in every relationship. So you, you're talking about really healthy communication, mm-hmm. which is something that um, we're not all of us are very good at. Mm-hmm. How do we... I know, that's an understatement, right? We're not, most of us are not very good at it. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I, I mean, I'm working on it all the time. I, None of us are perfect at it. It's an ongoing process to mm-hmm. slow down, take some time, go inside, notice how we're feeling. And, you know, having regular check-ins with the one we love, having regular check-ins where we, you know, even just once a week or something, just see how we're, how we're doing together, anything we want to share that we want to say to each other that happened during the week, or, you know, which, which needs to also include things we appreciate about each other, you know, things and we it- like about each other. Right, so start on positive and, and using I messages rather than that, which is a very basic mm-hmm. principle that the, I feel when you. Yeah. Um, 
Is is that what is that the sort of thing you? Yeah, would... exactly. Like you know, along the lines of like Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, just mm-hmm. noticing how we feel, and just divulging that. It takes a willingness to be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, letting go of control takes a willingness to be vulnerable. Letting go of having to be right takes a willingness to be vulnerable. And the willingness to be vulnerable requires a huge amount of courage, inner strength. That's what courage and strength really is. Mm-hmm. It's not this, you know, macho kind of thing. It's the courage to, and the strength to, to let our guard down, to let people see our heart, to see our vulnerable feelings, our hurts, our sadness, when we feel shame, when we're afraid. And to reveal those things really create a lot of intimacy. It, it creates a climate, a very fertile climate to come toward each other when we can find the strength to be vulnerable, share our feelings, share our needs and wants, what we want. You know, do it in a, in a gentle, respectful, kind way that the Buddhists call right speech. What and do they call it? Can you say right it again? Speech. Yeah, they right. call it right, right speech or skillful speech is probably a better term for mm-hmm. it. Skillful speech. And uh, that's a skill that's an ongoing process of learning it. Yeah. And we don't have to be perfect at it, but you know, we, it's, it's, it's uh, important to keep practicing it, maybe t- reading about it, taking workshops, learning how to communicate more skillfully and openly mm-hmm. and kindly to each other. And that mm-hmm. brings somebody toward us instead of pushing them away. That's, I mean, I, I don't know if this is where you want to go, but I work with children primarily, in, and I'm always, as you probably do, always looking at their attachment and how, mm. they, how they felt safe or not safe when they were growing up or even before they were, you know, still in the womb. Um, and um, it seems like that comes out, the way we, we learn how to relate to people comes out in our relationships, Mm. And so it's, we're not hardwired because we can always change, but mm. there's a lot of patterns of, of reactivity and defense that goes on that gets in the way of really real intimate um, communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of us don't grow up with good role models for communicating. You know, we're taught to stuff our feelings <coughs> or being too sensitive Yes. Shame or criticized for having our normal human feelings, very destructive. So we've learned to suppress yes. them when we get older. Yes, yes. So two kinds of agreements, John. Tell me about those. Two kinds of agreements that are often broken. Well, I talk in the book about breaking spoken agreements and then breaking unspoken agreements. Excuse me, I got a little bit of a cold today. <coughs> So, you know, the spoken agreements are things like, you know, we're committed to monogamy, for example. That's an obvious one. Okay. But there are more subtle, unspoken agreements that we tend to make. Like, you know, we don't go into marriage usually saying, okay, I'm going to be committed to communicating well to you, communicating openly. I'm going to be committed to the process of being honest with you Mm. about everything. So there are certain kind of unspoken agreements that, that are often broken that, that can oh. be experienced as a betrayal. They're assumed. Mm-hmm. They're right. Not, right? They're not externalized. They're not actually often uh, actually articulated. Um, yeah, I assume you're going to be honest. You're going to be authentic with me. You're going to not talk behind my back about about me in a negative, vicious way with other people. 
Um, yeah, there's a whole set of uh, assumptions that, and understandably, we're not, you know, we're not going to a relationship thinking, oh, you should, uh, you know, I'm going right. to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when they're not, um, when they're not, when, when they're broken, that, that unspoken, <laughs> those assumptions are broken, then it, it's only really then that you realize that what, mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I think another good example would be physical or verbal abuse. You know, say, okay, we're not, you're not going to physically, you're not going to abuse me, are you, in this relation? Let's agree to not abuse each other, right? People <laughs> don't usually say that to each other. There's an <laughs> assumption in a spoken agreement we're not going to be abusive to each other, whether physically or verbally. But, but people are. For, yeah, especially emotionally and verbally, people can become abusive to each mm-hmm. other. If, they, if they're not, if they don't know how to manage their internal emotional state, they tend to dump it out. It tends to leap out in a rageful, angry way toward the other person because they have unresolved issues around their anger. They have old hurts. They have old shame that they haven't dealt with, and it can come out in this defensive way of, of being uh, emotionally attacking of the person that you claim to love. Yeah, go on, yeah. So it really takes a commitment to one's own growth to have a healthy relationship also. Mm. So so how do you get that? Is that only through therapy? How do you, you're saying workshops or does it have to get to a crisis before you're like, oh my goodness, I've lost my wife because I... I had to be right all the time, which is right. Great. Well, some people, like like you were alluding to earlier, have 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 healthy attachment growing up. So there are some fortunate people who have had good bonding, good relations with their parents. So they've internalized an inner, inner caregiver. You know, they've internalized a, a secure internal base, which which they can operate in the world. Okay, but, can you say that in a simpler term for the listeners? Yeah. So sometimes people have. Really good. They felt love growing up. They felt accepted. There was room for their feelings. There was room for them to express their needs. They weren't punished for expressing themselves. There was a lot of kindness, a lot of eye contact, a lot of good bonding with one or both parents. Mm. And then it's easier to have healthy relationships if we had that kind of bonding because it gives us a sense of inner security, feeling good about ourselves, feeling certain kind of confidence, certain kind of well-being. When we have that kind of mirroring, where we really know somebody's there for us. We can talk openly about what's never going on for us. But most people didn't, weren't able to go to their parents and talk about their issues, their problems, their feelings and in a really open way. So, yes, those people either need, they don't need to work on themselves through reading, through workshops, through finding a skilled and helpful therapist to process things and get clear about things or join a group, a men's group or a women's group. We're a mixed group. It doesn't even have to be therapy. It could be, as you say, more of a personal awareness group or something. It doesn't have to. You know, people think there's got to be something wrong with them in order to come to therapy. But yeah, there's exactly. Some, there's some wonderful groups out there where it's more just how to communicate with your loved ones uh, in a more healthy way or whatever the title is. Yeah, I don't like having a pathology model about it. Like, yeah. like how to cure your pathology, your, your inner sickness, quote-unquote. Yes. But for personal growth, everybody needs personal growth. So I, I like to hold it that way. Mm-hmm. And it could be as simple as – it could be a spiritual path, you know, going to meditation groups or um, – the spiritual talks can also be very helpful. Or, you know, yoga practice, tai chi practice, and reading spiritually oriented books. 
because that actually, my understanding is it calms the, the whole body. Mm. The, the body mm-hmm. becomes much more calm on a permanent basis and therefore you don't get this old way of reacting. Is that right? You know more about yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's good research on stress meditation, mindfulness practice, being helpful with not only stress reduction, but just really helping you find ways to soothe yourself. Self-soothing is a really important skill to have in intimate relationships because when things don't go our way, we need to find a way to go inside, find an inner refuge. I love Tara Brock's work, by the way. She has a great book called, called, um, I think it's called uh, Inner Refuge. Mm. No, true, true Refuge. The book's called True Refuge. Tara Brock, meditation teacher and psychologist. How do you spell and, her name? Uh, yes, Tara, T-A-R-A. The last name is B-R-A-C-H, B-R-A-C-H, Tara Brock. I okay. love, her, love her books and work. She's in Washington, D.C., does uh, meditation groups and workshops all over, retreats. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to find a way to really connect with ourselves through mindfulness practice, through meditation, following our breath, being in your in your body, being with your breath, it really calms us. It, it, we're able to find more of an inner stillness. Mm-hmm. So when things don't go our way, or even when things do go our way, it's always good to check in with ourselves and have a regular way to connect with ourselves, find that refuge within ourselves, the place of peace, the calmness. Right. And if we know we always have that center, that place in us we can go to as a refuge, it's so powerful. Because then whatever happens out there, not to minimize the challenges we face, but whatever goes on, we can... Go inside, we can find a refuge, a place of contact within our own being. So, it, so there's always hope. There's, as I said earlier, but there's always a possibility for change, which is so encouraging. Mm-hmm. This is not a prison sentence. Right. So, you know, spiritual practice can be helpful, meditation. But I do find, too, a lot of people who are on a meditation path or spiritual path, they there can be a tendency to, to avoid our feelings. So I'm really cautious there. And that's why I wrote my latest book called Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships, which talks about how many people on a spiritual path do, do this thing called spiritual bypassing, where they bypass their feelings and their needs and wants, thinking that that's not very enlightened if you're feeling afraid or sad or shame or hurt. Or if you have needs for intimacy or contact, we shouldn't have any longings or needs for, for contact. So that can be a a misunderstanding of the spiritual path. We really need to embrace the full range of our feelings. And awakening doesn't mean we no longer have feelings. It means we learn to have a more open and friendly relationship with the full range of our feelings and at our needs. We learn to engage with them in a skillful way. It doesn't mean we no longer have unpleasant or uncomfortable feelings. I love that. I love that, John, because you're, what you're saying is that we're to acknowledge it all rather than to push it away, which is, or to deny it, mm. which is kind of what most of us do to cope with things. What mm. you're saying is bring it in, you know, embrace it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, embrace it all. You know, Thoreau has a famous saying, when a dog comes charging at you, whistle for it. Oh, could you say that again? When a dog comes charging at you, whistle for it. Oh, it, wow. It's a little bit of an extreme example. Yeah. But the way I interpret it is, we know when feelings are there, don't push them away and say, "Get out of here! This is not me. This is this is an uns- an unskillful feeling or a bad feeling." Say, "Okay, okay, yes, it's very unpleasant, uncomfortable, but ah, take a breath. Yeah, okay, I can be with that feeling. That's just a normal human feeling. I don't have to feel shame about to have this feeling. I don't have to avoid it or minimize it. I can just 
open to it, notice how it feels in my body, give it some space. And then when we give it space like that, it tends to shift and release and open up. Mm. What a lovely thought. But it, as you say, it's it takes courage to do that, to be vulnerable. and to... So for some people, that would be quite the leap. And it takes good friends, too. I mean, it's hard to do this all internally. So even if we don't have a therapist, if we can find one or two people we can talk to openly about our feelings who accept us, you know, criticize us or try to give us advice or try to fix us or tell us what to do, you know, friends who can just really be present with us and mm-hmm. listen and, and, you know, listen with the ear of their heart and just really be present and caring. And they don't have to do it perfectly, but if we have you know, one person, two people we can just talk to openly, it's, it makes a huge difference. Listen to the to with the ear of, of the heart? Could you say yeah, that I think again? Someone, I think someone wrote a book about that, or I read that somewhere, listening with the ear of her heart. I like that expression. That's beautiful. Before mm-hmm. we go to break, John, can you just speak or just start to talk about um, abandonment? Because that seems to be the most, one of them, well, in my experience, is a, is very painful to be mm-hmm. abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've all, we've all felt abandoned and or rejected, and what it can trigger is a really bad self esteem. It can trigger feelings: "Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm too old. I'm too overweight, or whatever it is." And it can bring up this sense of shame when we're abandoned. Mm. The sense that we're defective, we're flawed in some way, we're a failure. It's shame is such a painful feeling. But if we can begin to recognize shame, I work a lot with my clients around shame and healing shame. We can get a little bit of space from it, a little distance from it. And we can say, okay, I have shame, but I'm not the shame. And it's bringing up feelings of shame. That's a normal human feeling, one of the most painful ones, but it's a normal human feeling. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. Yeah. I work with children primarily, and uh, I have young people who feel responsible for their mother leaving mm-hmm. them or, or not being able to care for them and being put into foster care. It's a very common theme mm-hmm. for young people to believe that they somehow they did something wrong, even, mm-hmm. you know, it's and and they 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 yearn for that parent to come back again, but they at the same time. It sets them into a, a very negative cycle of shame. Yes, yeah, it's so, it's so powerful and destructive, right? It's, and, you know, often shame, it, it, it prevents us from honoring our feelings. You know, if we're sad, we were ashamed to, we're, we have shame to mm-hmm. feel sad or we're afraid. Oh, we shouldn't feel afraid. There's something wrong with me. I feel, mm-hmm. I feel afraid. And, you know, shame is like what's called a binding emotion. It binds with all of our emotions, and it contaminates all of our emotions. So, for example, if we lose a relationship or abandoned and we're grieving, it's natural to grieve and to feel sad. But if we think, oh, I shouldn't be feeling sad, I should be over this by now, then we're criticizing ourselves. Yeah. And then in a, in a critic just stifles our creativity, it stifles our aliveness. Rather than, <laughs> oh, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling grief, let me just give that some space. Yeah, somebody said it's like shooting all over, shooting all over yes. yourself. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly, right, yeah. Oh my goodness, and yeah. and certainly for this young lady that I, this teen that I'm talking about, um, her sense that um, she it was her fault is something that, and she says, I I can't, I don't want to feel angry. I shouldn't feel angry. I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So 
the work there is to like just like you said to acknowledge mm-hmm. all of those feelings all right. of the- exactly yeah, including the anger thanks for saying that that's important too mm-hmm. and you know anger is a real legitimate feeling especially when we feel you know it's some kind of injustice or abuse or uh, it's mm-hmm. the normal normal human feeling we need to work with and and, and, and maybe express it not in a destructive way, though. That's anger can be really tricky. So, John, we're going to go to break in a minute, but when we get back, I want to I want to look at other other how you come out of that. How do you how do you come out of a sense of deep, deep wounded hurt mm-hmm. from from abandonment? And mm-hmm. you know, is there a is there like a is it like the same as grief where you go through? Mm-hmm. The stages of yeah. Let's talk about what what, what yeah. the, the okay. healing pathway for when we're that dealing with great. betrayal or abandonment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go to break, and uh, when we get back, we're going to continue talking with John about love and betrayal. Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you want to know more about how to work with children and adults to transform shame, depression, loss, and anxiety, order Dr. DeLittle's book, Where Words Can't Reach, Neuroscience and the Satire Model in the Sand Tray. The book is available online from Dr. DeLittle's website, wherewordscannotreach.com. Dr. DeLittle also conducts workshops and can come to your workplace or organization. If you wish to have Dr. DeLittle come and do a two-day workshop on an introduction to neuroscience and satire in the sand tray, please contact her at mdelittle at gmail.com. As we age, there are certain situations which we all must face. Care and treatment don't always measure up to what it's supposed to be, and there are many questions that need to be answered. Tune in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with hosts Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a more fulfilling life, and we'll bring you the answers that you need to hear to make it happen. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Where Words Can't Reach, shedding light on our dark side. We'd love to hear from you with any stories, suggestions, or questions by sending an email to mthelittle at gmail.com. Here again is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Welcome back to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on a Dark Side. And my guest today is John Amadeo. Is that right, John? That's correct. Oh, good. I got it right. And he's um, talking to us about love and betrayal. And before the break, we were going, to, we talked about going to the, sort of the path to healing. So, the, so the, this is the, the good news part of the, of the show. So can you, can you lead us through that, John? Yeah, you know, because there is kind of a process of grieving and healing that tends to be pretty common, whereas after an abandonment or a betrayal, it's still similar to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grieving. You know, at first we might feel a lot of anger, and then we feel, 
Well, let's, let's talk about anger first, because that's that's the place where a lot of people get stuck. You know, you, yes. know, you feel betrayed or anger. It's, it's really easy to get into vengeance. Like you want to get back at the person. You want them to feel some of the pain that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of keeps you stuck. If you get too, you know, if you get too trapped by the anger and the vengeful fantasies, I mean, it's okay to have some fantasies, but you know, if you try to act on them, especially if you have children, it's really destructive to the children because children need both parents to be in their life and to have good relationship with them. But often we lose sight of that when we're so angry, we're so upset, and we're just so blinded by our anger that we we don't realize the effect it's having having on any children that might be mm-hmm. present. But Probably the most important reason for learning to get beyond our anger is it's it's destructive to us. It's like, you know, there's there's a saying that it's like giving poison to an. It's like, let's see, how, how does that saying go? It's like giving poison to another person, but you're the one who actually dies from the poison. Huh. Yeah. So it's really destructive to you. So yeah. So at first, you know, there might be some kind of denial that this is happening, like it's so unbelievable, the shock. So then after the denial, there's often anger. Then there might be some kind of bargaining that happens, maybe trying to get the person back, or if I only do this, maybe I can get them back. And, you know, I mean, sometimes things can be repaired or resolved, but sometimes it's also just kind of a fantasy that, you know, not realizing that's, that it's not going to work. But, you know, the, the most important part then is, is to really open to the vulnerable feelings that's underneath the anger or the bargaining, which is our sadness, our grief. You know, Elizabeth Kubler Ross calls it depression, but I think she just really means sadness by it. Mm-hmm. And that's the stage before acceptance. We have to go through this grieving process. It's just embracing the pain of it, sharing it with our friends, being with people who can just simply hear us and be with us and give us space to, to cry or to grieve and give us a hug and you know, not try to fix us, not tell us how terrible that person was, but just understand that you were going through a lot of pain with the, with the betrayal of the abandonment. And, and, um, and kind of normalize it. It's okay to feel these things. We all have felt these feelings. We know what these feelings are like. Yeah, I mean, we tend to see anger in terms of... Um, I see it when, when parents use the children as pawns in in this, uh, this, mm. this abandonment mm-hmm. or or where they collude with people at work and they it, it's it gets too much because they're just um they're just right. trying to trying to get other people to be with them so that they feel somehow mm-hmm. um, better or connected with somebody else and it right. can get. Yeah, yeah. There's a term called it, parent alienation syndrome. Parent alienation syndrome. We try to turn the children against the other parent. And it's yes. it's, it's destructive, you know, it's it's destructive to the children. They need a relationship with, with both people, you know, except under the most extreme, you know, circumstances where you know, if there's been abuse of the children or whatever, but mm-hmm. in most cases, parents, people are just trying to get back at their partner by alienating the children and saying how terrible their mother or father is. And it's not even done that obviously in some cases it's done much more subtly, but nonetheless it uh, has the same impact on the child, which is, yeah, yeah they have to right. start to look after their mother because as they see their mother suffering and... Right. 
it's so much it's subtle and so it's i that's what one of my one of my uh, uh parts of my work is to to look at parent alienation and uh mm, uh-huh. mm, it's it's a difficult one it's a difficult mm, one. yeah I, I don't mean to digress from yeah, from yeah. love and betrayal but um so let's look at some of the pitfalls that folks uh, um, that you've seen folks go into when when they're trying to heal. What are the what are what happens to them? Well, getting stuck in vengeance can be one. And I'm remembering that saying now. It's like you drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. Ah, okay, that sounds better. That's even better, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You drink the poison and you expect them to die, right? right, right. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> right, right. So you know, getting so the anger, the getting into vengeance, it's, it's destructive to you so that's one of the pitfalls but you know but yeah it's good to normalize i mean it's understandable to feel angry and to have fantasies of of vengeance but you know there's a difference between having fantasies and then not trying to act them out Mm. so that's very collaborative law can be really helpful not to digress too much like you said but you know collaborative law can be really helpful so that you know the settlements that's can be done in a humanistic way that's you know maximizes the kindness toward each other Mm-hmm. comes to some kind of fear and there's some people that are really good at the collaborative law so um, anyway so yeah so that's one of the pitfalls um, another pitfall is to just get depressed because we don't have anyone to talk to about or think we should be able to deal with this on our own and not you know not listen to what uh, John Lennon said in one of his famous songs we get by with little help from our friends <laughs> Yeah, I think he was referring to something else, wasn't he? Oh, was that another? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, it, when you are alone and nobody understands, or the side taking positions, mm-hmm. positions, it can be very lonely and uh, you feel trapped. Mm-hmm. It's, it's right. A, yeah. Yeah, we can feel really trapped and feel really lonely, really isolated. Yeah. So that's another pitfall. We can just feel really isolated after this. Like, what's wrong with me? Again, the shame factor can come in. We feel so dirty by it, so sullied by it, so mm. pained by it that we, we we don't think anybody's going to be interested in, in hearing us talk about it. We don't want to bring them down. You know, but a good friend, you know, wants to hear our, our feelings. And that's when therapy can be helpful, too, because we don't want to overtax friends with going on and on about it, you know, for for, for, for too long. And yeah, you'd really, lose them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, we can't push people away if we don't spread it out a little bit among several friends or get more professional help to, to deal with it because we, we might be getting stuck in a certain place where a therapist can be really helpful. So let's look at... This accusation, the word betrayal, it's mm. got, it's heavy, it's heavy. Mm. Mm-hmm. He betrayed me. It's just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I, it, it's all done to me. It's all, I am the victim. He did it to me. Can you speak to that? That's a really good point, you know. It's, um, we can use it as like a pickaxe. Like, I was betrayed, you betrayed me, like as an accusation. Yes. And kind of wear that as, and being like a victim. Like, you're really bad and you're wrong. And and we can maybe feel righteous about it in some way. That's not really going to serve us. We need to get beneath that to the, to the grieving process. It's like a sacred grieving that needs to happen. 
So, yeah, it's um, it's really tricky. We don't want to hold on to that that one for too long and be a victim. And the other thing is, matter uh, we need to take you know sometimes it's important to take responsibility too. Sometimes we had some role in the process, and people often don't want to look at this. They just want to stay a victim. Yeah. But yeah, the person might have betrayed you. They might have had an affair. They might have left you. But is is there anything, any way you were contributing to the situation, to the climate where they felt they needed to leave you? Like, were you maybe not listening to their feelings when they tried to express their feelings? I I see this a lot when I work with couples. You know, they'll say, I've tried for so long to tell you how I feel. And you would never listen. You know, and maybe they didn't express their feelings in a skillful way. And maybe they expressed them in a way that made the other person defensive and pushed them away which is a good argument for seeing couples therapists early on in a relationship before things deteriorate too much. But yeah, there might be some role that, you know, you played when, when there's been a betrayal in your life and but not to beat yourself up for that, but just maybe to simply recognize, okay, there's something I need to learn here. I need to slow down. I need to listen to my partner, maybe the next relationship, really listen more carefully and be respectful of their feelings and needs. Because often uh, they go into the second relationship and repeat the same patterns unless something, unless there is that, that time of reflection mm-hmm. to see what their part is in it. And that, t- again, takes a lot of inner strength and courage to see if we had some part in it. And maybe the other person had a larger part because, you know, there's no excuse for like a sexual betrayal, for example. That person could have come to you and said, you know, I'm so unhappy. I'm thinking of leaving the relationship. Why don't we get some couples therapy? I'm so unhappy. I'm having fantasies about other men or women. I don't want to do that. I want us to work this through. But just to get across the point that this is serious, you're in a lot of pain about this particular obstacle or block and just be able to courageously share that so you can hopefully process it through. This is not easy stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, but what else is is there to do with real life, though, right? Yeah. (laughs) But to to, to learn, this is how we learn about ourselves, is often through these painful experiences. Well, let's talk about that because because it can be transformative. It can be an incredible opportunity to to learn new ways of, of uh, communicating and mm-hmm. being with other people. Can you speak to that one? Yeah, yeah, we could perhaps learn to listen in a new and deeper way to people that are in our life or new people that might come into our life to show interest in their world, to take their feelings seriously, to let them know we're interested in their feelings and their needs and wants and doing our best to be responsive to that. And you know, having some balance between speaking and listening. There's a saying I like that, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> because listening is twice as hard as speaking. Yes, yeah. And yeah. we've probably all been with people or partners who are, they talk a lot, but they're not very good at hearing what's happening in our world. And especially, I hear this from women, especially. The man's going on and on about, even on the first date, about himself, but he's not asking her any questions about her. And so she feels pretty alienated by that. So, yeah, to extend our self, to extend our attention to other people, to listen. Listening is a very sacred process. We all want to be heard, right? We all have a longing to be heard and understood. So if you can extend attention to someone, really show that you're genuinely interested in hearing about them and their feelings, it's very powerful. It creates mm-hmm. a bond, creates a connection. So that's the antidote. I mean, that's the good news with um, the, love, the love part of the Love and Betrayal book is how do we build love? How do we build loving relationships to minimize the, the risk of betrayal or the prospect of betrayal and abandonment? And we create, we do that by learning 
to create a climate where we, we stay connected because we want to be connected. And so, and we're committed to the process of honest, open communication, the process of being kind with each other. You know, it's, so I call it a process commitment, being committed to the process. So not the outcome, but it, it seems yeah. to be on, ongoing. Yeah, because we don't have that much control over the outcome, but we have more control over the process. And the ongoing process, it's a good term for it, of communicating openly, kindly, clearly, expressing our feelings, having regular check-ins with each other, being respectful of each other, you know, being mindful when we are becoming a little bit abusive or unkind towards somebody, or maybe teasing them in a, a way that's hurtful to them. Yes. And taking that seriously. And, but we have to tell people when we're hurt and when we're feeling um, so alienated. Repairing. We've, we've been talking about that on the show, too, about repairing. When we've, when we've hurt somebody, um, taking responsibility and repairing that relationship. Yeah, yeah and that's the good news, too, because even in the best of relationships, there are going to be ruptures of trust. It's not going to be smooth sailing. And this is... Why it is a certain amount of work, or a lot of work, is we have to learn how to be with those hurt feelings and express them without, you know, freaking out too much, and or attacking the other person is what I mean, and uh, repair the trust by by goodwill, by kindness, by skillful communication with each other, by listening deeply. So even in the best of relationships, there's going to be ruptures of trust, but the good news is we can learn how to repair it. Mm. It seems to me, as, as you're talking, John, that this relationship thing is such a challenge, and yet we're not prepared for it. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have like a driving license. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to have lessons before we go get into relationships. We don't have to pass a, a test. It just right. there's an assumption made that somehow we can mm-hmm. m- move through this minefield of of. Uh, of being being kind and and oh and yet being honest at the same time and how do we do this dance together i know some people argue for like premarital counseling sessions or workshops or classes oh. before people get married like a like you're saying a driver's license you it's pretty easy to get a marriage license is really easy to get but, but it's harder to get a driver's license you have to go through certain training right but we don't go through any training no to get a marriage license, and then we, you know, then we have children who are responsible for, for them. Mm. So, yeah, it's incumbent upon us to be responsible adults and learn what it takes to have a relationship that's healthy and growing and thriving because we don't learn this growing up. We don't learn how to attend to our feelings. I mean, in some school systems, it's slowly coming in about emotional intelligence, education about feelings, mm-hmm. that at least because people a little head start, a little bit more of a chance that they can have a healthy relationship, if they learn how to express their feelings, if they learn how to manage their internal state, learn how to be with their feelings in a gentle way. Before the end, I want to mention this process called focusing. It's very powerful too, which is also very hopeful too. Ways we can learn to focus, to go inside, to be present with our felt experience just as it is, be gentle with what we're feeling, Mm. give space to our feelings. And yeah, so powerful. So there is hope for couples then um, after a betrayal that you're just talking about. And we're talking about a big one, not you know, or, or ongoing. Yeah, yeah. right. What, what can you? Yeah, what's yeah. Your experience of that. Yeah, the hope is we can 
Well, we can heal from that experience. We have the inner resources. You know, we're wired to, to have a natural grieving process where we can heal. It's going to take time, but we can heal from that. We can cultivate inner resources for dealing with painful feelings. We can find things that are resources for us that maybe we haven't developed before, like maybe meditation or yoga or uh, the other resource of uh, psychotherapy, resource of good friends, finding art, maybe journaling or artwork or walks in nature or going to the gym or cultivating self-care habits that maybe we didn't do before. And we can be more discerning next time when we enter a relationship. We can communicate more clearly about what we want and listen to our intuition and get a sense of whether we're feeling heard and respected. And if not, to share that, to say that, hey, I'm not feeling you heard me when I just said that. And being really vigilant about communicating in a, in a clear way with somebody, a kind way, respectful way, but a clear way. Do, do you do this as, um, obviously you do this in therapy, but do you have classes, John? Do you lead classes to help couples be more proactive, you know, rather than after the fact? Uh, no, I don't have classes. I mostly do this in my psychotherapy practice with individuals and couples. And sometimes I do classes or workshops overseas, like I'm going to be doing in Hong Kong in December. But no, not generally. It just seems there's such a need for it. Uh, so, yeah. to, and because I'm at the end, other end of it, which is where the children are being harmed as a result mm. of what you're talking about. Um, and it, it's uh, there's such a need because the harm is so deep, yeah, yeah. deep for these mm-hmm. little ones. That um, right. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I'd rather be out of a out of a job than see this continually coming yeah. through my door. Yes, right. Because so the main way the main way I try to be helpful works. I don't do classes. Is, is through my books. I spend a lot of time, put a lot of love and energy into writing very carefully about really subtle and nuanced things. So I hope people will consider checking out some of my books because I think they're really helpful. And there's exercises even in many of the books that people can practice and learn from. Can you speak to your last book, John, and why the title? Yeah, Dancing with Fire, Mindful Way to Loving Relationships. So Dancing with Fire is like that's how relationships are. We're dancing with fire. There's intense emotions that relationships trigger in us. So we have to learn how to engage with our feelings, our fiery feelings, but without getting burned and without burning others. So we learn how to, to engage gently with our hurts, our anger, our, our, our longings, our sacred longings. We learn how to dance with those and express those in a clear way because we all have a longing to connect, to be understood, very legitimate longings and needs that we need to embrace and, and share with people and find people who can, ex- who can uh, accept that about us and mm. be responsive to us in a way that feels good, feels right. So, yeah, the book is about that, and it's also, it kind of integrates attachment theory with spiritual practice and Buddhism, meaning, you know, moving toward awakening doesn't mean we bypass or or avoid our feelings. It means it's the path of engaging with our feelings and our longings in a skillful, gentle way. So that idea of embracing that you spoke of earlier, embracing Mm -hmm. all of us, all our parts. Exactly, embracing all the parts of us. It's fully accepting ourselves just as we are, because we're the only one who can do that, to radically, fully, completely accept ourselves as we are, including all of our feelings, our foibles, our limits, Mm. and... And love ourselves. Often we, you know, we hear it's important to love ourselves, but what does that mean? You know, it means... 
taking a breath, going inside, noticing how we feel in our body, and embracing the full range of our feelings, of our humanity. Mm -hmm. So so even those on a spiritual path need to realize that a big part of that spiritual practice is embracing our humanity, not trying to transcend it. So we've just got a couple of minutes uh, to the end of the show, John, and uh, what about some take actual takeaways? I think you've already uh, weaved them through the show, but can you just highlight mm-hmm. a couple, maybe a couple of uh, takeaways for the listeners? Yeah, be kind. Above all, be kind and gentle with yourself, no matter what you're feeling. You know, know that you have uh, the Buddha nature in you, if I can use a Buddhist, Buddhist term. You have goodness and beauty and value within yourself. And to really, really honor the value that you have as a human being, whatever happens to you from the outside, from others, you can cultivate the sense of well-being and goodness and value within yourself. And there may be practices that can help you with that, such as focusing. You might go to the website focusing.org. There's all kinds of people teaching focusing around the world and doing using focusing in their therapy practice. You can find a meditation group. I particularly like the Vipassana path of meditation. I live not far from Spirit Rock in Marin County here in California. It's a lovely meditation center. But you can Google Vipassana meditation. It's V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. Vipassana meditation. There's different centers around the world. What about taking what about taking a walk in the Ooh, in the beautiful. forests yeah, you know, up into the mountains and be, thank you for that yeah be in nature nature is so healing mm. I love taking walks in the woods in the park just getting out with the trees with the grass with the birds it's, um, it's so healing to be in nature what do they call that a nature bath or something is a that- nature bath I haven't heard that that's a good one <laughs> just just being present that for me that is my Certainly for me, that works. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so beautiful. Though. Yeah, because for some people, the, the you know this meditation piece is uh, is a little bit of a leap. But right. for going going for a walk in nature or just being still, just yeah, medit- being quiet. Right, because meditation isn't necessarily just sitting in a cushion and or a chair and just following your breath. It's it's being present to life. It's like yeah, nature is life. It's being out mm-hmm. there in life and walking and just looking at the beauty around us and mm-hmm. looking at the flowers or the trees or the birds or the bees or the insects that are crawling around. I mean, it's it's very healing just to be present with our with life. Mm-hmm. It takes us kind of outside of ourselves. It's very healing. Wow. So this idea of betrayal has really opened me up. I had no idea until I was listening to you today. So I really appreciate the broadening of the term betrayal and how um, what what it actually looks like, the sort of tangible descriptions that you have of folks when they're gossiping or, or lying to their partner or even not wanting to listen. That, mm-hmm. to me, is... Mm-hmm. And this uh, this idea, if I can summarize, this idea of the unspoken commitments mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that that we make assumptions about, and um, then 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 we break them, and it's like what? And I didn't sign up for this, but there was no actual articulation of that. Mm-hmm. We have a lot to learn, don't we, as humans? It's a lifetime process, but it's uh, what else is there to do other than keep learning and growing, right? It uh, helps us stay alive yeah. and engaged with life. It's a, it's yeah. 
Um, and my sense is, and we don't have any time, fortunately, to discuss this, but this, there's something going on in the world where it's much, there's a lot of blaming, a lot of this, what, you know, the anger part that you talk about, and it's mm-hmm. it's very destructive. Mm-hmm. And um, in a sense, it's betraying of mm-hmm. of a commitment. So uh, I'm, I don't want to get into the politics of mm-hmm. what's going on, but I just feel it. I feel it. It's like, you know, that everything that we're trying to work towards is being countered by this other way of, of being in the world. So, which is, for me, it's very sad because we are, it seems like we're, we're going against the tide a little bit right now. Right. There's a lot of anger that comes from often fear. Yeah. And um, we need to spread the light and awareness. Let's, let's keep doing that, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very powerful. <laughs> the light's very powerful, but the dark side is powerful too, right? Yeah, let's uh, let's embrace it all. And I really want to thank you. This has been m- most interesting, and I hope the listeners uh, will will uh, check you check this uh, show out and the and the repeat show that's going to be on the website because it really is worth listening to. So thanks again, John. My pleasure. It's been wonderful to have you. And this is our last show in the series where words can't reach shedding light on a dark side. And I thank all of the listeners for um, joining joining all of the guests. And hopefully we'll be back for another series. Thanks to all of you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side with Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Please join us for another edition of the program next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.